Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Scott Stewart. I'm the associate pastor at Living Water Fellowship. And due to technical difficulties, about 10 minutes of this sermon is missing. But I do hope that you enjoy what you get to hear. Sound theology has a way of doing that, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what we have to look at. The truth, the word of God. That's where our comfort comes from. Not in anything in this world. Friends, truth is a good thing to get a firm grip on. Even our declaration, when it was first established, says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. What happened to that? In this passage, Paul reminds us of the unshakable truths in which we should hold on to tightly. Friends, God loves you unconditionally, each one of you. The Bible says we ought to always thank God for you, brothers who are loved by the Lord. You know, if there's one overreaching truth of the Bible, it is that God exists and he loves you. But right on the heels of the truth that he exists is the reality that God, who created everything, has chosen to love us. Each one of us. Yeah, however, much of the love we experience in this world at times from people is unconditional. It is conditional, not unconditional, right? I mean, conditional love is based on maybe your performance. You know, you have to earn it. Maybe a person will say to you, well, I'll love you if. <laughs> they may say, I'll love you if you'll love me. Or they may say, I'll love you if you obey me. Or I'll love you if you'll make me feel like a certain way that feels good to me. But God's love, understand, is unconditional. God doesn't love me because I'm especially lovable. Cindy can tell you that. No. But uh, <laughs> he, he loves me because he is love. He is loving. In other words, God doesn't love us for who we are. He loves us for who he is. Why? Well, why does God love you? Why? Because God is love, right? God loves you because God loves you. He created you for that purpose. God knows more about you than anyone else even yourself. <laughs> he knows every mistake you've ever made and every mistake you're ever going to make in the future. And yet, he still loves you unconditionally. He does. No matter what you may have done, he still loves you. God said through the prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. In Jeremiah 31, 3. When you study the Quran and, and compare it to the Bible, you can't claim that the God of the Bible is Allah of Islam. You can't do it. It doesn't work. In the Quran, the love and approval of Allah is based upon human performance. And there's no sense of real assurance of love. It may be, may not be. 
But the Bible teaches that God loves the world. He loves everyone, good, the bad, the ugly. He loves us. There's nothing I can do to make God love me anymore. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less. He loves us. I hope you realize that and understand that. The Bible's full of examples of the love of God. You'd see it all through it. In Luke 15, Jesus said, God is the kind of shepherd who has 99 sheep safe in the sheepfold. And one lost sheep has wandered away. He leaves those 99 and searches for that lost sheep. Have you ever felt like that lost sheep? God goes searching for you? Yeah. God loves you so much that if you had been the only person on this earth, he would have still come seeking for you. Jesus said, God is the kind of father who even loves a disobedient, rebellious child. You know, he told the story about the son who broke his father's heart by asking for dad to give him what he had coming in his will. And then the son took off and, with that money and ran off to the bright lights of the big city and spent it all on wine, women, and song, you know. But when that broken son heads home, God is like that father who runs to embrace that wayward child. That's what he does for us. When he sees you coming, he's going to embrace you because he loves you. You ever feel like that son? <laughs> you ever feel like that one? Just God, just please take me back. Yeah. Friends, God loves you. Hang on to that truth that God loves you. Don't let it go. Please don't let it go. The Bible says from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the, way, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in that truth. There's a great truth in the Bible that was sometimes missed long before we chose to believe in Jesus, which is absolutely essential for our salvation. God chose us first. He did. God chose you. He chose you before you were born. He chose you before Jesus came to die on the cross for you. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he adopted us through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and his will. God chose you, friends. But you know what? <laughs> you also have a say in whether or not you'll be on his team. Yeah. The issue of your will is still involved here. When, when a person is saved, when, when you're saved, there are three factors involved in that when you think about it. The Word of God that you come to believe, the work of the Spirit in convicting you, and then the will of the person to accept it. When God, you know, it goes to the story, when God, we're getting close to Christmas time here. When God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, we see this beautiful parable of salvation. God chose Mary. She didn't chose him, right? The angel Gabriel delivered the word of God. He told her that God had chosen her to give birth to the son, Jesus, who was going to save the world, be the savior of the world. Gabriel told her the Holy Spirit would come upon her and God would do a supernatural work in her. 
So we have the Word of God coming to him. We have the word, work of the Holy Spirit there now. But Gabriel waited to see what Mary had to say. It wasn't done yet till she answered. And God wasn't going to force her to be the mother of Jesus. He's too much a heavenly gentleman for that. So Mary said, may it be done to me according to your word. That was the profession of her will to accept what God was offering her. You see, friends, God has chosen you to be in his family. He has. That's the word of God. <laughs> How can that be? Well, all that's left is for you to say, just for you to say, God, may it be done to me according to your word. That's what you have to say. That's where your will comes in. Are you choosing him? You know, you're not a robot that God programmed to believe. He chose you in love. He loves you. But once he's chosen you to be on his team, the question is, will you line up with him? Will you? Imagine this. I heard this story. <laughs> you're a kid again. All right. You know, I used to love to do this. And you're in a neighborhood with a bunch of other kids, and you know, you, you, you want to choose sides to play a basketball game. Nobody's older than 12, except this one guy who's a lot bigger and a lot older than everybody else. So obviously, he's one of the captains to choose. You flip a coin to see who chooses first, and this big guy gets the first choice, and then he looks at you. Oh, I forgot to tell you one thing. The big guy's name? Uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think it's safe to say here that his team is going to win, probably. Uh, and for his first choice, he looks at you and says, I want you to be on my team. Hmm. Yeah. What are you going to say? <laughs> what are you going to say to that? Uh, no, thanks. I'll just take my chances. Hmm. No, not if you're smart. Come on. You're going to say, oh, yes, yeah. I'll be on your team, Mr. Jordan. Thanks for choosing me. Yeah. And so who wouldn't want to be on God's team? You know who's going to win. You know who's going to win. When he chooses you, you can know for a certain you're on that winning team. Then God gives you the hope for the future. The Bible says, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Who did that? I love that phrase, good hope. Yeah, use the word hope for something. Yeah, we often use it for something that might happen. We hope it's going to happen. You know, I, I, I hope we can make it back home on the gas we have in the car or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you know, I hope it's gonna, I'm going to pass a test. Or, oh, Sorry, Chet, I hope the beavers beat the ducks. But, <laughs> but uh, we aren't totally sure, though, are we, a lot of times? But in the Bible, the word hope means an absolute security. That's the hope the Bible gives us. Hope. And you might want to write this down if you can. I, I don't know. I got this, and I think it's, it really sticks. Hope, like an acronym, H-O-P-E. Hope means having 
only positive expectations. Having only positive expectations. A few years ago, there was a movie filmed in Smithfield, Texas called Hope Floats. I don't know if any of you have seen it or not. Uh, but hope, realize hope isn't something that just kind of drifts into your life. It's a lot heavier than that. It's, in fact, more like an anchor that we can hold on to that brings us to where we need to be. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 18 and 20, it says, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. The inner sanctuary of the temple, you know, was the, where the presence of God was manifested. And there, there was this huge curtain separating it from the rest of the world. Only the Jewish high priests could enter there for just a few hours, one day a year. But when Jesus was crucified, remember what happened? <laughs> that curtain was torn in two. That was, and and, 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 and it, it was his way of ushering us into the presence of God because he was there. But why the picture of an anchor entering in as a place of safety? Well, we go back to that first century thing, how people looked at things. In Bible times, anchors weren't just something to keep a boat from drifting away. That isn't what they were mainly used for. Shifts were often had a lot of trouble entering a small harbor that they had to go into. And there was a custom that was practiced where sometimes the main ship paused outside the harbor and the anchor was placed in a little smaller boat called the Forerunner. And then the smaller boat with the anchor rode into the harbor and found a safe place and then dropped the anchor, dropped that rock in there in a safe place. And the anchor line then attached to a pulley on the ship was tightened and the ship was literally pulled into the harbor so that it went safely in. You see, friends, Jesus is our anchor. Jesus is our anchor. Our anchor of hope that draws us into the very presence of God. Yeah, wow. Friends, are you secured by that anchor of hope named Jesus? Are you? And finally, God gives us strength, doesn't he, to stand firm as he's told us. The Bible says, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father encourage your hearts and strengthen you. And in Ephesians 6.10, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There's nothing that stands above his power. And then he writes about putting on the whole armor of God. And the point of being dressed for battle is to be able to stand. And he says it three times, stand. And having done all to stand, stand firm then. Are you ready to stand? Are you? You see, the Christian life doesn't start with action. It starts with conviction and belief. Standing on the real truth of the Lord's word. And the truth always then leads to what? Action. For us to do something.
<sighs> but first, we have to stand firm in what we believe before that action can amount to anything. We have to stand firm. Someone said, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this before, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? Yeah. Friends, we have solid truths that we can stand upon in the Lord's word. And while our culture today seems to just keep refining those truth and morality, we have to stand firm on the truth of God's word in the Holy Scriptures. We have to. You know, one of my favorite hymns is the one we sang today, The Solid Rock. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. But we can't stand in our own strength, can we? God is our source of strength, and we have to rely on him and go to him. When we're kids, we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Where little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong, right? But you see, we, even as adults, never grow up to the point where we no longer need his strength. We always need his strength. We're all still weak, and he is strong, friends. He is. The Bible says in Psalm 18, God, he clothes me with strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. You widen the place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way. He's there guiding us and protecting us. You ever see deer or goats on mountains, you know, climbing up and you think, how in the world did they get up over that stuff? They easily scale some of those heights that we go, ugh, no. What's their secret of walking safely? Well, they look to see exactly where they put their front feet, and then they instinctively place their back feet in exactly the same spot where their front feet were. You see, that's what God wants to, us to do. We only have two feet, don't we? we? We don't have four legs. So how does God make our feet? like the feet of the deer. Well, he wants us to follow in his footsteps. Look where he's standing, and we have safe ground. When you're following Jesus, the place he steps are safe for us to step as well. I want to end this this morning with a little story. <laughs> a few years ago, a guy named Henry Dempsey, I don't know if any of you have heard of him, he was uh, at the controls of an Eastern uh, Airlines commuter, and uh, he and his co-pilot were relocating the plane from Portland, Maine to Boston. So there wasn't any passengers on board. And as they were climbing up after takeoff, Dempsey heard this banging noise in the back of the plane. And uh, he, he gave the controls over to the co-pilot, and, and he went to investigate what, what was going on. Well, <laughs> he noticed that the pull-down door wasn't completely latched or closed there. And so he grabbed it to close it, and at that very moment, the plane hit a lot of turbulence. <laughs> and the door flew open, and Dempsey was sucked out. Mm. The terrified co-pilot looked back and saw the door was open, and the pilot had fallen out, and he got on the radio and declared an emergency. <laughs> yeah. 
and even requested a helicopter to search for Dempsey's body. But when the door flew open, Dempsey grabbed the sides and he hung on for dear life. He was being buffeted by the airflow. You know, the plane was going about 200 miles an hour, but he refused to let go. The co-pilot landed the plane at the nearest airport, not knowing the pilot was still dangling from the back of the door. <laughs> he successfully landed the plane, and Dempsey's head avoided hitting the surface of the runway by about 10 inches. The emergency crews were astonished to see Dempsey hanging on upside down outside the open door. It, it took him several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers off of that door. <laughs> One of the rescuers said it took a grip of steel and nerves of iron to hang on with all that turbulence and that, all the stuff he went through. But Dempsey refused to let go, and it saved his life because he hung on with everything he had. Friends, we're not hanging out of an airplane here. We're not. But let me tell you, we're in the middle of a raging cultural storm. A lot of things going on. And that is the only thing. It's not yet. We've got so many things that are just getting more and more turbulent every day. So like Henry Dempsey, we need to hang on for dear life to the truth. The truth that he has given to us and it has stood the test of time through everything. Stand firm, folks, in the truth. Stand firm and see what he does for you. He's got an eternity for you that is amazing. Don't let anybody pry your fingers off of it. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, give us strength. Give us strength to follow in your footsteps, Father, to, and eyes open to see where you're leading us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to uh, hang on to the truth in these times that test everything that we go through. Give us strength, give us wisdom, give us courage, Father, that only you can give, that we stand firm in all that we face in these days, Lord. And we say this, Humbly, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we, as we close. And if any of you feel led to either give your life to the Lord or renew your life to the Lord or become members here, we're going to have, as Scott said earlier, a member luncheon in here that we're going to go over some things. So if you feel led for that, we, I ask you to come forward during this song, okay? Let's stand and sing the stand.